You obviously know Kung Fu. Hi, my name is Katrina Durden. I'm the blonde zealot in Doctor Strange and DiCaprio in Street Fighter Resurrection. You're listening to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. Fifteen years after the world thought that young Daniel Rand was lost in a plane crash, Danny walks back into his old life and tries to pick up where he left things off. But his friends, his company, and the only other world he ever knew has left him behind. And they don't necessarily want him back. Welcome to the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and in this episode, we're punching in on the first episode of the newest Marvel Netflix production, The Iron Fist. Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Season 2 of the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. And let me just say that I had a whole other set of movies set to kick the season off, but the timing just worked out right to cover a show that I was really amped up for when it was first announced. I'm talking about The Iron Fist from Marvel and Netflix. The Iron Fist stars Finn Jones off of his stint as the Knight of Flowers Sir Loris in Game of Thrones as Daniel Danny Rand, the son of a wealthy businessman who was presumed dead for the last 15 years but has since returned to try and get his life back. So let's stop here and rewind for the uninitiated. Iron Fist was originally a comic book character created in 1974 by Roy Thomas and Gil Kane. The superhero was a kung fu master who also had the ability to focus his chi energy into his fist, which turned it into an explosively indestructible object that essentially made Danny Rand a living weapon. On the creation of the character, co-creator Roy Thomas once wrote that he and artist and co-creator Gil Kane had, quote, started Iron Fist because I'd seen my first kung fu movie, even before Bruce Lee one came out, and it had a thing called the Ceremony of the Iron Fist in it. I thought that was a good name, and we already had Master of Kung Fu going, but I thought maybe a superhero called Iron Fist, even though we had Iron Man, would be a good idea, unquote. Way back in episode 3, I talked about the Loli film Five Fingers of Death, which I believe is the movie that Roy Thomas is referencing here. In the film, Loli's character needs to learn the Iron Fist technique to help him defeat his enemies. The technique focuses energy into Loli's fists, which makes them glow red, and then he does some serious damage with them. Since then, Iron Fist has had a long history with Marvel Comics, though not a particularly high-profile one. When I was a kid, Iron Fist was one of my favorite characters because his kung fu was awesome, plus he had the cool glowing hand superpower which just looked cool in the comics. Updated for modern times, the new Netflix production aims to introduce the Iron Fist to new audiences with a retooled origin story and a new Marvel Universe to play in. For this show, I'm going to cover episode 1. In the next show, I'll cover episodes 2 through 4, then 5 through 7, and so on, until I get through the entire run. Now, if you follow the saga of bringing Iron Fist to Netflix, then you know that there was a lot of initial backlash against Finn Jones being cast in the role of Danny Rand. There was talk of whitewashing and accusations that Marvel wasn't doing enough to open up the casting to Asian actors, but... If you go back to the original source material, which was the comic books, then you know that Danny Rand is a Caucasian. Granted, the very initial creation of the character in 1974 was probably a bit of whitewashing to appeal to a Western audience, but I personally never had a problem with a Caucasian being cast in the role. In fact, I had a much larger problem with casting someone who was not known to be a martial artist, especially when the character of Iron Fist was supposed to be one of the most amazing martial artists in the world. This was going to be Marvel's supercharged kung fu entry into the Defenders universe, and I was psyched to see it happen. With the fight choreography that we'd already seen in Daredevil, the Kung Fu could only be off the charts if they cast someone who had the real speed and skill to pull it off on screen. Then they cast Finn Jones. Now, Finn Jones is a fine actor, but was he a secret martial artist that I didn't know about? Research showed that he was not. So in a TV show about a super-powered Kung Fu master, you're going to cast a guy 
who doesn't know any actual kung fu. You know, back in 1972, Warner Brothers tried a similar stunt in a TV show called Kung Fu. In the show, an accomplished but homeless martial artist named Kwai Chang Kane traveled the old American West defending the defenseless and spreading kung fu wisdom to all who would listen. The role of the martial artist was originally going to go to Bruce Lee, which made sense. He had created the concept, but Warner Brothers controversially appropriated Lee's idea and went ahead to produce the show starring David Carradine in the role of Kwai Chang Kane. At the time, Carradine knew nada about kung fu. And if you ever catch any of these original episodes, it's painfully obvious during the fight scenes. But let's give Marvel and Netflix the benefit of the doubt here and jump into the first episode, shall we? Let's! The first episode of the series is titled Snow Gives Way. The intro title sequence falls in line with Daredevil in that we see a waxy silhouette of a figure, but here the figure is of a kung fu practitioner as he's going through some moves, leaving behind a plasticky motion trail. For a show that'll ostensibly be about some awesome kung fu, this is a nice intro. Just keep that in mind. We then cut to a busy New York City street where a barefoot and scruffily dressed Danny Rand is making his way to the Rand Building, which in the real world is the Bank of China building in front of Bryant Park in New York City. I used to work in that area and got to see some bits of Iron Fist being filmed there from time to time. Danny is listening to an old click-wheel iPod, so we know that he's been out of the scene for a little while, but not so much so that he's completely disconnected from reality. I mean, it's not like it's a Zune. Anyway, an obvious question comes to mind, at least for me. Where the hell has Danny been walking from that he's never needed shoes because he sure didn't walk all the way from the Himalayas barefoot. A street vendor that Danny stops to chat with also notices. That's my building. Sell it and buy some shoes. Danny makes his way into the building to seek out Harold Meacham, his father's former partner, but is rudely received by building security who toss him out of the place. Not one to be deterred, Danny quickly pops back in and tries to sneak past the guards, but they're prepared to muscle him out. Fight scene. A bunch of security guards advance, and we get to see Danny use a little bit of his purported martial arts skills to fend them off without resorting to lethal force. He sidesteps one guy, dodges a punch, and then spins another guy out of his way before skipping by and heading for the elevators. A second round of guards are there with batons, and again, Danny is able to weave his way through the attacks and get to the elevators. It's a very short sequence, and it's not bad, though it looks a little slow and labored for such a short sequence. Danny makes his way up to where he hopes to find Harold Meacham, only to be met by Ward and Joy Meacham the brother and sister team who've taken over the company for their father who passed away from cancer 12 years prior. Obviously, neither one of them is quick to believe that this vagabond's actually Danny Rand, so they call security. While they're waiting, Danny tries to plead his case on his identity, but Ward's simply not having it and threatens to throw Danny out himself. Joy attempts to play peacemaker, but Danny absentmindedly slaps her hand out of the way, which just escalates things. When security finally does show up, they're armed, and Danny has no choice but to politely get thrown out. When he's gone, Joy and Ward hash out the incident, and Joy thinks that the guy did look like Danny Rand, but Ward, a hothead with a permanent scowl, appeals to her sense of reason. In the elevator, surrounded by security, Danny starts to suffer a headache, which precedes a flashback to the scene on the jet where we see Danny and his parents in states of distress as the plane shakes and shudders around them. Later, Danny makes his way to his childhood home from 15 years ago, where, miraculously, the spare key is still secreted away on the transom ledge above the doorway. But the lock's been changed. Again, not to be deterred, Danny decides that breaking and entering is perfectly logical choice given that almost anyone else in the world can now be living in what used to be his home. So Danny uses some parkour skills to hop up to a balcony window and let himself in. Luckily for Danny, it appears that Joy Meacham has now taken up residence in his old house. Danny snoops around for a bit and reminisces about his childhood friendship with the Meacham kids. Apparently, even back then, Ward was a little jerk to Danny. Here comes mommy and daddy to protect you and give you lots of hugs and kisses and tell you what a sweet little boy you are. It's disgusting. Ward. Later that evening, with nowhere else to go, Danny spends the night in a park where he's content to chill out when he's befriended by another homeless guy, Big Al, who, in an overly and frankly unbelievably generous display that is super convenient to advancing the plot, 
offers to look up any info Danny wants on his acquired iPhone. Here he learns about the fates of Danny Rand and Harold Meacham and realizes that people must think that he's a homeless bum like his new buddy Big Al. The next day, Danny tries to confront Joy again, but gets the same reaction. While he's retreating into the street, a cab nearly takes him out, but instead, Danny manages to flip up and over the cab and lands on his feet with a stunned Joy watching. He hustles away from there and retreats to another park where we catch up with him as he's meditating and performing Tai Chi. In his mind's eye, we see a hawk flying over the city as he goes through his stances. At his feet, someone stuffs some money into his thermos cap, and here we're introduced to Colleen Wing, who's putting up posters to advertise her Bushido martial arts school. Danny tries to return the money and asks Colleen if she might have some work for him. Colleen, a no-nonsense type, shrugs him off and walks away. Back at the Rand building, Joy and Ward are discussing Danny's confrontation from earlier. Ward reasons that either Danny is crazy or is part of some corporate sabotage to make the company look bad in the face of a large pending expansion deal in China. That night, as Ward is receiving his car from a valet, Danny jumps into the driver's seat and starts to drive, asking Ward to just talk. Ward inexplicably gets into the passenger seat anyway and goes for the ride. Still not convinced, Ward pulls a gun on Danny, which Danny quickly takes from him. At a disadvantage, Ward agrees to give Danny some answers to what he's missed out on for the past 15 years. Ward presses Danny for any proof as to his identity, but there's none that Danny can provide at the moment. He does start recalling some moments from their past that only he and Ward would know, but Ward denies everything. A frustrated Danny, plagued again by the flashback headaches, recalls a scene where his mother is sucked from the plane through the hole in the fuselage. He begins driving the car at breakneck speed towards the parking lot barrier without stopping. Only at the last minute does he turn the wheel and smashes the car against the wall. He leaves Ward there and hightails it out. This isn't over. Oh, I know. What is the Pottern family? Hey, y'all. It's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant Podcast. This is Michael Vasquez of the No Sound Bites Allowed Podcast. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob from the Something Something Cast. This is Knock from the Geek Ogre Podcast. This is Jeff with the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. This is Daniel from the Toe on the Trigger Podcast. This is Dave from the Parlapod Podcast. Hey, guys. This is Mike from the Mike Jolet Show. Woo! We're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks Podcast. We are you podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow so follow us on twitter at potter family and use the hashtag potter family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same potter family where great podcasts come home back in the park danny catches up with big al where they sit and wax philosophical about their purposes in life what's your purpose from all oppression honor the sacrifice of Shaolau the undying well, okay then here we get our first mention of the mystical city of Kunlun which is at the heart of the origin story of Iron Fist elsewhere Colleen Wing is holding a class in a rundown gym when Danny pays her a visit as an aside as Colleen is adjourning her class she starts talking out loud at her students not to them because they're clearly not even paying attention but she expounds about how they need more students and that she had to rent out the space to AA because they'd pay more, and if they don't get more students, this place will shut down. This bit of writing was a red flag because it seemed lazy and forced. Anyway, Danny shows up and again offers his services to teach some kung fu at Colleen's dojo, but she's not interested. She threatens him with her practice sword, but Danny doesn't flinch and drops another comic reference. Trust me, 
You don't want to know what it feels like to have a practice sword smack you hard on the side of the face. <laughs> I already do. Ask Master Lei Gong the Thunderer. I'm asking you. Nicely. One last time. Please go. Danny does agree to leave, but not without her offering him some practice slippers at least for his bare feet. Fight scene. Outside the dojo, Rand gets attacked by some mysterious figures. Colleen watches from her window as Danny recognizes the attacker as the Rand security guard Shannon. He disarms the guy, then notices several other armed guards all trained on him. Evading gunfire, Danny makes his escape as Colleen trails the whole group to see exactly what's going on. Rand manages to lose the crew in a Chinatown celebration where he dons a mask and takes out the goons one by one, disarming them and leaving them either stunned or unconscious. When he finally corners Shannon, he presses him for info and learns that Ward sent them after him. When Ward learns that his mission failed, he makes a call to someone who insists on a face-to-face meeting that night. That evening, Ward makes his way to an elaborately secured penthouse suite somewhere in the city where he meets one Harold Meacham, the same Harold Meacham who's supposed to have been dead for the past dozen years. After some obvious disappointed dad and resentful son chatter, Harold Meacham prods for more info on Danny. Ward is dismissive of the whole situation, but Harold is much more considerate. We can't let him go public. No. No, we cannot. No, there are other questions to consider as well. If he's still alive, does that mean his parents are still alive? Who else knows he's alive? What does he know? Who is he told? How the hell did he learn martial arts? Back in the park, Danny seeks out Big Al, only to find that he's overdosed on heroin and has died with a needle sticking out of his arm. Now, at no point in the previous 47 minutes was a heroin addiction even hinted at, but hey, you gotta keep the story moving somehow, right? Now, as he's laying Big Al to rest, he notices a tattoo on his arm. It's the silhouette of a hawk. The next day, as Joy Meacham arrives at her office, she finds Danny there waiting for her. She agrees reluctantly to talk to him as he reveals that Ward tried to have him killed. As they sit down to some coffee that she's prepared, she seems to allow that there might be some chance that she believes Danny's story. A hopeful Danny latches onto the idea and starts opening up. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions. As he begins to recount the plane disaster for Joy, he starts to feel groggy and realizes that he's been drugged. As Joy and Ward now loom over him, we get another flashback image of two monks standing in the snow, which fades out again to two nurses who are standing over Danny as he's now strapped down to a hospital bed being sedated. A final flashback puts us back in the plane as Danny and his parents are crashing. The fuselage rips open and takes his mother out of the hole. Danny's father, still strapped into his seat, professes his love for Danny as the plane goes down and the screen goes black. So that was the entirety of the first episode, which was barely about Danny's origin at all. We learned more about the Meachams and Colleen Wing here, and that's okay, as you gotta figure that they've got a lot of backstory to cover, and it's gonna be doled out piecemeal over the first few episodes. However, for anyone who knew absolutely nothing about Iron Fist to begin with, you left this first episode just as clueless as to who or what Danny Rand is, and the only reason you know to root for him is that the main antagonists in the story so far are almost cartoonishly sinister. We've already talked about Harold Meacham's evil puppet master role, but then we have Ward Meacham, played by Tom Pelfrey, who, to Pelfrey's credit, oozes bad guy Juju, the kind that can only be dispersed by the blood of a she-goat, but I digress. Unfortunately, Pelfrey isn't given much to do other than sneer and scoff at anyone that dares to challenge him. He certainly doesn't seem to have grown much from his youthful days spent kicking Danny Rand in the nuts, but let's see where the rest of the series takes him. We also have Joy Meacham, played by Jessica Stroop, who seems to be the beautiful, strong, independent woman who's made her mark in the business world and won't take crap from anyone, and yet, she doesn't do much more than her brother's bidding throughout the first episode. 
Now, speaking of this brother and sister team, if you were not told that these characters were indeed brother and sister, you'd be forgiven for thinking that at any time that these two were in the same room, staring at each other as they spoke, they'd be overcome by one another's animal magnetism and then start to make hot, sweaty, evil Meecha monkey love right there wherever they are. It was an uncomfortable feeling that this seemed like a viable possibility every time that these two shared a scene. There is simply zero brother-sister chemistry between these two. It's just not working. Then we have Colleen Wing, played by Jessica Henwick, who, at least in the first episode, is the most well-defined character of the bunch, though that is not saying much. At only one episode in, there isn't room for much character depth exploration just yet, but Colleen Wing was at least interesting and more than two-dimensional, if only by a little bit. She actually is a strong, independent woman doing things her way and who's ready to kick ass if she needs to. Sadly, we get to see none of that here in episode one. And finally, we got Daniel Rand himself. Finn Jones playing a billionaire trust fund kid with supernatural kung fu powers is, at the moment, only a barely convincing drifter, though he looks more like the hacky sack hippie activist social justice warrior from college that was at every rally and signed the petition to ban dihydrogen monoxide from the dining halls. Through this first episode, we got a grand total of two fight scenes that were barely fight scenes at all. And the fight choreography was too close and too dark, which usually means that they had to hide something in the shadows because it doesn't look quite right in the light. Again, this is only the first episode, so we have to wait and see because Rand's character will obviously be more fully fleshed out and developed as the series goes on, so perhaps the kung fu will grow and evolve as well. I certainly hope so. There was not nearly enough kung fu here to get me jazzed about future episodes, and what was shown was very slow and underwhelming. So far, Finn Jones' kung fu moves seem to be very blatantly telegraphed to the point where I could count between strikes and actually see where Finn was looking so that he could get started on his move to evade the coming attack. I had a great Twitter exchange with the Adventure Frequency podcast and at GavinCalley13 and mentioned that they seem to be going for a slow boil in these episodes. Gavin tweeted to me that good kung fu can sometimes be a slow boil like Prodigal Son. What I'm afraid of is that it's going to be a slow boil the same way it is for a frog in a pot who doesn't realize that the water is slowly heating up and killing him. Yeah. So what does that mean? Truth be told, I simply do not know. I was just not blown away by this first episode the way I was for the first episode of Daredevil. In fact, it should have been easier to absolutely blow the roof off of the place with Iron Fist because for most people, this is a clean slate. You could have told any halfway compelling story and mixed in some incredible kung fu that would have left the audience breathless and needing more. Iron Fist has money, kung fu, mystical cities, warrior clans, and even dragons. How do you mess that up and not make it so that the second episode has to be immediately queued up to play? I'm going to cover the next three episodes in my next show, and so on until the series is finished. But I will warn you now, through just the first half of the season, my enthusiasm for what could have been keeps diminishing. I'm hoping that the second half of the season turns things around and brings out the high adventure and the kicking kung fu. I just don't know if that's going to happen. I was loath to listen to the initial lukewarm reviews that were released because those critics had only seen the first three episodes or so. Finn Jones himself, speaking to Metro.co.uk, fired back at the critics saying, quote, What I will say is that these shows are not made for critics. They are first and foremost made for the fans. Unquote. Yes, Finn, this is for the fans, but we fans aren't going to blindly accept mediocrity when it's already been proven that Netflix and Marvel can make something as outstanding as Daredevil. I don't think Charlie Cox is a martial artist, and yet his hallway fight scene is one for the books. Here's hoping that Iron Fist can fill out a page there, too. Until next time, Poison Clan, peace. Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! 
This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws We walk into the tea house Ready for some action Drink a little wine and get a drunk And then we fight in hack this time it's warm, we smash the place up with a dragon claw. I see the iron fisted bunk before the daily prayers. Shouting monks on their hands, running down the thousand stairs. The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless idea roaming over the land. Yeah, the little big soldier is older than wiser. He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law. Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to graze jars. Fight for the cars, then pause, hear the applause. Not again, back kicks will defeat the outlaws. Very good, but more. Don't hit back Yeah, the death jewels here David D is coming back The Tai Chi master Jelly's even faster The channel little drink Because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine But see Maggie show his spine Golden Swallow has arrived Shang Chi movies Will the hero we survive We've got the brave archer Make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight May as well pick a spot Yeah, the sky goes black Cut the vampire's back We've got Lam Ching Ying To kill them all to so stand back He plays the black magic On the soul of the sword and our sword will travel until his body's on floors Yeah, Wing Chun Shaolin and Mantis style Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws We walk into the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war, we smash the place up with a dragon claw. See it's a game of death, yo, you're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun assassin slashing blood or just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got her just in yellow, but she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms, that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor when the blood It'll splatter against the wall, no fear at all To kill them all, there's always blood spilled When you head into a war, fearless Unleash the fist of legend that the car jelly. I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast. You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets. And it's simple, see the facts are these. It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee. Walk into the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk, and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's one. We smash the place up with a dragon claws. We walk into the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine.